0: Good evening, everybody. Let me try that again. Good evening, everybody. Y'all must be really saved. You're in church on a Friday night. And so I'm happy to be here with you. Uh, I bring you greetings uh, from the South Suburban Vineyard Church, my lovely wife Shannon and I, the lead pastors there. It's so uh, great to be here with you. I'm grateful uh, to Pastor Ted and Brittany for this invitation I would come to speak at the Evanston Vineyard uh, for any subject, but when Ted started talking to me about the subject and sort of theme of the conference, the spirit and the common good, I was really, really up to come and engage this. This conference title is super compelling, is it not? Some of you are here because of this conference title, and maybe you didn't know what all of it, it entailed, but you said that's a really catchy title. I'm kind of interested in both of those things. Maybe let me move toward it. The Holy Spirit and the common good are two interesting subjects on their own, but together they are super interesting, and I'm super eager to engage this because, after all, we are his church. Amen? God's favorite tool to get his most difficult work done in the earth. We are not just his church, but we are full of his spirit, and he's empowered us to do the work. And ultimately, we exist for the greater glory of God and the well-being of others. Maybe you didn't know that, but ultimately, you and I were created, placed in the place where you live, given the gifts you've been given, the sensitivities that you've been given, the story that you've been given, not for yourself and for your own purposes, but for the greater glory of God and the well-being of others. It's very Ignatian, isn't it? But this is an important conversation that we're having this weekend simply because some of us can too easily focus on the glory of God part, right? We love to soak in the presence and just get hugs from Jesus. We love to follow all the rules and check all the proverbial boxes, all while neglecting the well-being of others part. Isn't that really our sickness? Isn't that really uh, what's particularly fallen about humanity and our world as we know it? Isn't this what makes us particularly sinful? It's because it can be easy to focus on the well-being of ourselves at the expense of the well-being of others. It can be easy to focus on the well-being of a select group of people Um, or the interest and well-being of a narrow slice of the human population while neglecting the common good, the well-being of all people, everybody, everywhere. And this is our problem. This is our sickness, and the symptoms of our sickness can be seen all throughout history, can it not? Slavery. Apartheid, the Holocaust, racism, sexism, and all forms of systemic injustice all over the world, war and unrest. And I say that just as we're not even eight days into the freshest conflict raging in the Middle East. And those are all the big historical things that we'll be talking about for a long, long time. They'll be etched in the pages of our history books. And on top of that are all the local ways this particular sin comes to bear, not just in our own life, but it lands awkwardly on other people. And because of this sickness, because of our sin... Because of the fallenness of the world, it's essential that we come to understand the role and the work of the Spirit and how it intersects with our pursuit of the common good or the well-being of others. I love this account in Luke of Jesus going into the temple, being handed the scroll, verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Very common passage for many of us, right? Now, there were no microphones in the first century, but I imagine if Jesus had one, after he read it, he'd probably drop it. (laughs) Mm, This is Jesus talking about what Messiah had come to do. If there was any confusion, and it probably was even after he read this, He says, I'm I'm him. I'm what the prophet was talking about. It's me that is at the center of this prophetic foreshadowing. And there's a curious thread that runs through all these things that Jesus uh, listed as he read through this text. There's a curious thread that runs through all these details and all these signals that Jesus would give them and also uh, us about what he had come to do, and any serious follower of Jesus has to do business with a text like this. Any serious follower of Jesus has to do business with what Messiah said he would come to do. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say he'd come to rub shoulders with the fat cats, the social elites. Jesus didn't come to be a celebrity saver, all swagged out, an influencer. No, he said the Spirit was the source of the anointing and power that would help him do the work. And what is the work? He lists it for us to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives will be released. Y'all with me? That the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor is here. Now notice who Jesus centers in his ministry. He seems to be bent on lifting up the underneath and setting wrong things right. Jesus, in his ministry, would come and find the person who is lofty and say, what are you doing up there? Get down here. In the same breath, he would see the person in the gutter of life, and he would say to that person, what are you doing down here? Get up here. Pull down those who are lofty and full of themselves and important, and see that person in the gutter and pull them up, because all ground is level beneath what? The cross of Christ. Jesus centers in his ministry, not the high and mighty, but those who are underneath. This is Jesus' ministry, and it should be our work too. The Spirit is on us too not just for our Sunday meetings and conferences and gatherings like this, but the Spirit has empowered us to do the work for the mission, for the common good. And if we're to faithfully join him in his mission and in his work, we need an urgent lean toward kingdom restorative justice. I'll say that again. If we're to join him in his work and join him in his ministry, we don't need a casual lean. And when I feel like it lean, we need an urgent lean toward kingdom restorative justice. And so for the purposes of our time here tonight and this weekend, I just want to define what I mean when I say kingdom restorative justice. Biblical justice is the restoration of God's intention for all creation as was displayed in Genesis 1. That all humans are created in God's image. And all humans are equal and deserve to be treated with fairness and justice. This is important because the fall of mankind threw the world into sinfulness, some of that sin that I was just describing, and confusion and injustice became the norm. It's the water we swim in. It's kind of like if you say to a fish, how's the water? The fish was like, what water? It's just like, this is just a regular day. And so we've just become well-adjusted to injustice. And nights like tonight and conferences like this conference and churches like this church and hopefully movements like our movement are supposed to wake us up a bit, right? And this means that we're committed in the vineyard to showing mercy and serving every person. This means that in the vineyard we care for the poor. This means that our design as churches are to be diverse and multiracial, and not just diverse and multiracial with different looking people, but we want to be multicultural. We want to have a look and feel that will be like heaven. Now, some of you like, this sounds really great. I'm glad they invited him because this sounds like something I'm really interested in. And my teaching assignment tonight was to get you excited about kingdom justice, was to get you excited about all the things I just talked about. But I also came on assignment to warn you that everything I just talked about sounds really good and really poetic and really kumbaya-ish on paper. But I came down here to warn you at the outset that if you start to engage in this sort of work, you will get into some trouble. Some of y'all like trouble too much. But most of us are trouble-averse. We don't want no problems. But this is the kind of trouble that I think is good trouble. Somebody say good trouble. One of my heroes is the late John Lewis, and some of you might be familiar with John Lewis, U.S. Representative, uh, US representative for Georgia's 5th District, and he served from the late 80s into uh, to 2020, and he was one of the original Freedom Riders. He marched with Dr. King, and he's one of the key figures in the famous nonviolent civil rights movement in the Jim Crow South in the 1960s. And in an interview on CNN about an exhibit honoring his life, Lewis said that as a boy growing up in Alabama, he noticed segregation. He noticed signs every place that said whites only. and He noticed people being treated harshly. And he would ask his mother and his father, why was this the case? What's with these signs? Why can't we drink from that fountain? Why do we have to get on the back of the bus? He would barrage his mother with these questions. And his parents would say to him, John, that's just the way it is. It's just the water we swim in. And concerned for young John's safety, his parents would often tell him, John, don't get in the way. John, don't make waves. John, please don't get into trouble. But there was a problem. John uh, was absorbing the words of civil rights activists. And something within him was stirred. And he says that Dr. King and Rosa Parks and others had inspired him not to stay away from trouble, but to get into trouble. But he called it good trouble. He called it worthwhile trouble, noble trouble. And he pondered in his mind that maybe, just maybe, we can be a part of a new generation of young people to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble, to make our country and to make our world a better place. Sounds like John's talking about the common good. And I'm inspired myself by civil rights movements, heroes like John Lewis, who believed that freedom couldn't wait. When folks died and sacrificed and were imprisoned, and I shudder to think about what my life would be as a black man had they chosen instead to stay out of trouble. i tell you a secret, I'm, I'm a rules guy. I don't like to break the rules. I like to figure out where the foul lines are and stay in them. I don't like to make waves, and I don't like to make trouble. Until I remembered that a lot of what's been wrong with the world has been legal and lawful and legitimately on the books. Things like slavery, things like apartheid, things like the Holocaust. These things have been legal. And I can't shake this whole idea, especially at this stage of my life, that if I'm living my life right, there's going to be some trouble. I can't shake this notion, I've seen too much, I've read too many books, too many of my heroes got in trouble. I've seen too much to not know that if I'm living my life right, I will start some good trouble. That if I'm living right, I'm going to make somebody mad. That if I'm doing my life right, some folks aren't going to want to see me coming. And you ought to be concerned if everybody likes you. If there's no place in your life where you aren't upsetting evil or disrupting injustice, if everybody loves to see you coming, you might be a good guy, but you also might not be on mission. Y'all still with me? I'm talking about good trouble and the implications that might have for us as kingdom people who are full of the spirit empowered to continue the ministry of Jesus, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick and to set the captives free, to lift up the underneath. We're talking about good trouble. Now, there's a spiritual component to this because we're full of the spirit and we're pushing back, actively pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. But there's also a human factor to all of this rooted in God's heart for people and to see them saved and walking in freedom and experiencing kingdom justice. I'm talking about good trouble. This doesn't mean landing on the right side of any given issue, but it means handling the people well in the process. We're talking about the common good. For the greater glory of God for the well-being of others, the spirit and the common good. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to open tonight with a message that I'm simply calling Kingdom Justice and Good Trouble. Kingdom Justice and Good Trouble. Would you meet me in your Bibles tonight in Acts chapter 16? If you're old school and you got a paper Bible, go ahead and get it out. I won't be mad at all if you're engaging with the scripture on your phone or your mobile device, so long as that's what you're actually doing. <laughs> Acts chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 6. It's also going to be on the screens. So while you find that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for another opportunity to gather as your body, as your church, as your friends. And, Lord, we know that in a room this size, some of us have been too safe, too well-adjusted to injustice, indifferent about how you've empowered us to go about bringing justice and working for the common good. And so, Father, I pray That we would posture ourselves to receive from you tonight, and not just receive from you tonight, Lord, but to respond to you in a way that you would find appropriate. To respond to you in a way that you would smile at. May our hearts, Lord, be soft landing spaces for your word and your truth. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Acts chapter 16, I'm going to start reading at verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes, and she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. This is the word of the Lord. Fascinating story, is it not? And it illustrates well the good trouble we're likely to find ourselves in as we partner with Jesus to set the captives free. The good trouble that we'll find ourselves in as we engage in the ministry of freeing captives and doing what Jesus came to do. This is an important text because sometimes when we think about justice and pushing back against injustice, we think about some grand demonstration right? Thousands of people, maybe hundreds of people gathered together. They're wearing matching t-shirts, matching sort of bracelets in this coordinated effort to push back against injustice. Sometimes we think about protests, marching in the streets, Assembling in Washington, D.C., pronounced shows of civil disobedience and activism, and that's important, and that's good, and some of that is godly, but there's more to justice than that. I'm talking about justice-seeking in everyday life. As I look at this text, though, I'm struck by how all this happened in the routineness of Paul's day. He seized this opportunity, and and, and he did leave the house that morning wearing, you know, Slaves Lives Matter shirts. He didn't put into his backpack on that morning extra pair of socks and underwear because he intended to spend a few nights in jail. He didn't have a quart of milk in his backpack in case he was sprayed with, you know, tear gas. He wasn't prepared for this. This was just a regular day for him. And I think this is super important because we need to stop seeing justice and fighting for justice and kingdom justice as something we do in grand demonstrations, but something that we could and should participate in every day, if you have eyes to see it. And so as I walk through this today, I want to give you a few reasons why kingdom justice and good trouble is necessary and worthwhile first thing I see in this text is that there are captives everywhere. To put it a different way, there is injustice everywhere. There are folks under the boot of life everywhere you go. They're all around us. And if you have eyes to see it, if you're interruptible enough to see it, it will arrest you. But you got to be awake. Dare I say it? You got to be woke. (laughs) And maybe I just might want to steal our word back. Can we have it back? When did it start being a bad thing to be woke? And honestly, I'm a little suspicious of anybody who uses that word pejoratively because what's the alternative? To be asleep? Now, Cornell West says that some woke folks need a nap, and I agree. <laughs> but I don't want to be asleep. I want to be awake. I want my eyes open. I want to be interruptible enough because something might cross my eyes that the Lord wants me to deal with. There might be some muted forms of injustice that I may have gotten too well adjusted to, that the Lord might want me to deal with. And this happens to Paul and his companions just on a normal workaday day day. It says, as they were going down to the place of prayer, they met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. We also learned in this text that she earned a lot of mo- money for her masters by telling fortunes and that she was following Paul around giving him compliments. Now one compliment is good, maybe two or three, but this went on for days and days and days and after all Paul got sick of it. So he got exasperated and turned and said to the demon, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her." And instantly it left her. Now I hold Paul in high esteem, uh, but what the scripture doesn't tell us is that Paul was moved with compassion for this woman. It tells us that he was annoyed. (laughs) The demon got cast out, not because of compassion, but because Paul was annoyed. And this seems so unspiritual, doesn't it? But kingdom people can see annoyances as as opportunities. That's why you gotta be woke. That's why you gotta be interruptible. That's why you gotta be paying attention because the Spirit might be inviting us into something to respond somehow to something that's not right in front of us. Paul was annoyed. And Pastor Clifford Turner, who was my childhood pastor, was fond of saying that the thing that annoys you most about the world can often be what God is calling you to help fix about the world. Now, we're talking about the common good. We're not talking about you didn't didn't get enough meat at Chipotle, right? (laughs) Or that the Wi-Fi is slow. Maybe you can argue that that's a common good issue, but I would push back against that. But the things that annoy you might be what God has hardwired you to help fix about the world. I know this is true in my own life. The way the Lord wired me, there's some stuff that I just can't bear witness to without it activating something in me. Anybody else feel this way? There's some stuff that you can't say around me without getting a reaction. There's some things that I just cannot witness being done to another human being and be able to hold my peace. Am I the only one in this quiet church? Some things that bother me in a kingdom way, and I can only conclude that it's the Spirit of God in me that won't let me rest, that won't be okay, that won't let me be okay, that won't let me get well-adjusted, to the wrong things that I'm experiencing, Paul was here. Paul took note that she wasn't just an annoying young woman. This woman was under demonic influence. She was captive. And I wonder what you might experience as the captives in your world, those who are oppressed in your world those who are gripped by something that won't turn them loose. If you really search the rooms of your life, you might find that those persons exist, but they're encased in an annoying package. Somebody you see and pretend not to see. Somebody, when they come, you go the other way. But this woman was bound. And so... I'll put before us today that if there's captives everywhere, it must also be true that there are oppressors everywhere. If folks are being captive in every room of life that we might be in, it's also true that there are oppressors everywhere. This woman was spiritually captive. She was demonized. But she was also enslaved. She was physically captured maybe she's an indentured servant or a slave but it's clear that she wasn't free to go she wasn't free to leave and her bondage both natural and spiritual was profitable for her masters there was a connection between her spiritual bondage she was demonized and her actual status as the property of someone else her bondage, this unique strand of bondage, this intersection of spiritual and natural slavery, was profitable for someone else. And when she was freed from her demonic oppressions, the scriptures tell us in verse 19 that, her hope, that the hopes of wealth were now shattered for her masters. And as a result, Paul and Silas were grabbed, dragged before the authorities in the marketplace and they made a real big stink of it. Now this story illustrates something very powerful, and that is this, that there are always those who are heavily invested in the captivity and the bondage of others. There are always those that if you see somebody captive, if you see somebody bound, if you see somebody in a cage, proverbially, spiritually, or actually, there are Persons that are actively benefiting from their bondage. Make no mistake. Whether it's sex trafficking or the porn industry, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's a toxic, abusive relationship, whether it's emotional bondage or actual captivity or slavery, the powers in this world, racism, sexism, or any other isms, whether it's white supremacy or any kind of supremacy, there's somebody on the business end of that being oppressed, experiencing injustice, and there's somebody who is either passively or actively benefiting from that injustice. This is deep darkness that exists in this world. The deep sort of darkness that Kingdom of God folks like us are supposed to push back against. And since somebody is benefiting, actively or passively benefiting from injustice or the bondage of somebody else, they don't usually stop themselves, do they? Racism and systematic oppression doesn't unseat itself. That's our job. Sexual strongholds don't cast themselves out, do they? Enslavers just don't wake up one day and say, you know what, we've made enough money. Let's turn these people loose. Large white movements don't diversify themselves. Huge, powerful institutions that get rich on the backs of the small people don't stop themselves. Only a force that is stronger than that sin pushes back against it. Only voices that are more audacious and more righteously indignant and more courageous push back against the darkness and says, something ain't right about this. This has got to stop. This ain't right. This is where you and I come in, because God wants people free, right? God wants the oppressed to be free. Your real friends want you free. Real Christians won't stand around injustice. They simply won't. And Jesus is anointed to break the chains, to open the cages of captives. And guess what? As his followers, as his disciples, as kingdom people, we are called and anointed and empowered to do the same because there will always be oppressors and captives everywhere. And since there will be captives and injustice, and since there will always be oppressors, if we go about the business of opening cages and setting people free, and lifting our voices when we've been silent, there will also always be trouble. There will always be trouble. Don't think for one minute that you can go around loosening chains without consequences. Don't think for one moment that you can go around opening cages where people have been bound and somebody's been profiting from that Bondage and there won't be consequences. Don't think that you can go about setting the. without consequences, leveling playing fields without consequences. Don't think you can go about waking the sleepers without somebody demonizing being awake. It just won't happen. There's no version of leaning into kingdom life, kingdom justice that doesn't get you in trouble with somebody. And as I said before, you should be concerned if you're not getting in trouble anywhere. And some of y'all got in trouble around 2020. Had a little COVID crisis Mixed in with a little bit of a racial crisis. Mixed in with maybe there was an election or something that year. And some of y'all got into some real good trouble. And some of our churches, the DEXA was completely shuffled because somebody decided they couldn't hold their peace. Somebody decided, I got I to say something about this, right? And some of you, you just made a post on Facebook. You should, all you did was made a post. And you didn't even know your Uncle Larry had a Facebook page. (laughs) But when you made that post about George Floyd, or about Breonna Taylor, or about just the sort of injustice that, like, everybody should have been able to agree on, right? Like, Uncle Larry had something to say. He found out how to DM you and tell you how wrong you were. And maybe that's just a little bit of trouble, but some of you lost friends. Some of you, your parents stopped talking to you. Some of you, the consequences of you, like, waking up and speaking up were fast, furious, and costly. Am I wrong? There's no version of this It doesn't cost us something or get us into trouble. Because maybe you had noticed this, but when you come on the Lord's side, like all of his enemies become your enemies. All of those forces that benefit from people being bound, slaved, kept down, which is the work of darkness. It's demonic force from the evil one When you decide to wake up and to speak up and to partner with Jesus, to set the captives free, to lift up those who are underneath, to open your eyes and to see where in your world and where on your job and where on your block and where in your own house, that the Spirit of God needs to use your voice and your influence and your power to arrest that which is dark, to arrest that which is unjust, you think the enemy's happy about that? You think he's going to leave you alone? No, 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 no. You get ready for some trouble. Rich Nathan always says that there's another team on the field. This is a spiritual war rant. And he talks often about how if you ever played uh, football or something like that, you're running those plays and you, with no defense in front of you in practice, you just, I mean, every, every play is a touchdown, isn't it? But all of a sudden, when the defense gets on the field, those plays don't click, right? They don't, they don't work as neatly or as smoothly because there is another team on the field. There's a real enemy. There's a real kingdom of darkness. Where do you think all this stuff came from? And when you decide to be salt, and when you decide to be light, some of you, I know you've decided because you're wearing salt and light T-shirts. And you decide that you won't blend in and become well-adjusted to this darkness and to this evil, you will get in trouble. Paul experienced this. A mob quickly formed. It's hard to gather people for good stuff, isn't it? But for this nonsense, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. The city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So they put him in the inner dungeon. He got in real trouble. He was in trouble, trouble. And how many of you know the mobs are hardly ever right? If you ever witness 100 mobs, 98 of them are going to be on the wrong side of it. I don't know if you've been on social media lately. I don't recommend it. But the mobs and the masses are hardly ever right they're hardly ever on the right side of things. Paul and Silas experienced trouble. And why did they get in trouble? Because they were loosening the chains of the oppressed, setting at liberty those who are captive. That sounds familiar? But Jesus stood up in the synagogue and read about himself from the scroll of Isaiah. Didn't mention the trouble then, but we knew soon the trouble would come. And here they find themselves in trouble. I'm spending so much time talking about the trouble because it's the trouble, the prospect of the trouble, and dare I say the promise of the trouble that keeps good Christians like you and me out of the fight. It's the trouble that keeps us out of the fight. You thought, I'll just put this innocent post up. I'll just show some solidarity with this obvious instance of injustice. Surely everybody agrees with me, and you will be down. And you thought, if I I get this just for changing a little banner on my, you know. My social media, I really don't want to wait into this. And you're at work and you see the stuff happening that's racially motivated. You see people being left out or discriminated against. And something within you is annoyed by that and bothered by that, but it's the trouble that keeps us asleep. Many of us aren't asleep. We're, we're pretending to be asleep. <laughs> like my kids when they don't want to do something. And my kids when I come home and they haven't cleaned up. Yeah, I wake kids up if the chores aren't done. <laughs> and they're pretending to be asleep, you know, like this. But you've got the spirit of God on the inside of you. You see that, you know that, you feel that, you're bothered by that, but it's the trouble, it's the trouble that keeps you on the sidelines. It's the trouble that keeps you minding your own business. It's the trouble that'll have you loud in here during worship. And quiet on the streets where where it matters. It's the trouble that will have you loud and posting about everything other than that which is consequential. It's the trouble that will have you engaged in everything that doesn't matter. All the Christian snacks that only church people like. but nothing that's going to break the back of the day-to-day, everyday injustice and brokenness and bondage that you witness and don't say a mumbling word about. It's the trouble, right? But our savior, like, he got in a lot of trouble. And he wasn't even surprised that he got in trouble. In fact, if you read the prophets, he, he, like, they, they told you that he would get in trouble. It told you that it, it pleased the Lord, right, to crush him. And so it was no surprise that when Jesus came loosening chains, setting captives free, discipling others to do the same, that they would get into trouble too. And maybe you didn't know it, but you are the disciples of the disciples, of the disciples of the disciples. And so that ministry, fixing that which is broken, that ministry to the poor, that ministry to the broken, that ministry to those who don't have voice and power to fend for themselves, it falls to us. And some of us, the only thing keeping us from it, after all that has transpired in recent years, after all that has been chewed, swallowed, and digested before us, the only thing keeping us out of the fight is the trouble. And I wonder if you knew that if you stick with it, if you press in, Uh, That there is glory in the trouble. Glory in the trouble. And when I say glory, I don't mean popularity or fame. Quite the the opposite. I mean a, a unique strand of kingdom beauty in the trouble. The sort of beauty that comes when folks who are in cages get free. The folks who were blind or pressed down, could stretch their legs. They don't tell us what happens to this girl. Am I, am I the only one that's curious? I was hoping that maybe a few chapters later they would do a where are they now sort of thing. <laughs> and we could read about how she turned her life around, she got a job. She's doing ballet. (laughs) The scripture doesn't tell us. But they told us what happened to Paul and Silas, though. It was glorious about that. Well, I, I don't have time to unpack what happens. They get thrown in jail, and of course, you would expect them to be dejected and cast down and stuff like that. But they start having a praise party in the jail. Because this is who they are. Something happens. The the, 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 the jail shakes. The doors come open. They don't run away because there's somebody there that needs to be ministered to. I wish I had time to preach that, but I don't. There's there's glory in the trouble. They kept on about doing the, the ministry work because that was who they were. That's what they did. And I wonder if you understood what glory and what beauty lie in this obedience to God, in this work of pushing back against injustice, not with picket signs out in front of the Capitol. No, that's been done. But in your everyday, work life, I wonder what God is just dying to show you as you open your eyes. And maybe it's those slick ways that people in the office keep certain people out of things. Maybe you're in rooms or that sort of thing happens and you want to stay in that room (laughs) so you don't say nothing. Maybe you experience somebody being abused or trafficked or treated improperly. And maybe you grew up someplace like me where it was like a survival instinct to mind your own business, to pretend like you don't see it. My guess is that even now, the Spirit of God is is, is, is showing you faces and playing little movies of scenarios where you had the opportunity to say something or you, you had the opportunity to push back against injustice or push back against some type of oppression or oppressor, and you chose Instead, to play it safe like maybe you're even thinking about that even now. I want to remind you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If the Lord is showing you a face or showing you a situation or or showing you a scenario where you missed it before, it's not to condemn you, but to show you that this stuff is everywhere and for you to get, curious about what he might have you to do next time. I intentionally, this this evening at the outset of this conference where we're talking about the common good and we're talking about justice, I intentionally want to shrink these justice opportunities down to a smaller size so you can see that they're everywhere. That they are everywhere. The same spirit that was upon a Jesus and anointed him and empowered him to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those that are captives, to do something about that which is wrong with our world, that same spirit is within you. And it's strong enough to help you overcome your fear of the trouble. It's strong enough to... to to make you courageous against that which or those who might try to intimidate you. Who are those people? Where are those places? What are those situations where it's within your power to do some kingdom good? And I want to just give you a moment to think about it. A moment to reflect. And so would you be so kind as to close your eyes and ask the Spirit to show you. And if you feel comfortable, you can just whisper, speak, Lord. Show me, Lord, the places where I've fallen asleep. Show me the places where I'm pretending to be asleep. Show me the places where I have gotten really well adjusted to injustice.
1: We're just gonna be quiet and wait for a moment and see what happens. It occurs to me as uh, Pastor Gino is preaching, that the spirit in us actually doesn't make us timid, the spirit in us uh, actually gives us power. And also um, in Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, Paul admonishes and encourages Timothy and tells him that the spirit in you uh, is not a spirit of timidity, but is one of power and love um, and actually the kind of self-control that would allow the self not to actually get in the way. And so could we, could we rest for a moment? Like, a, take a moment, close our eyes. And Just going to pray and we're just going to wait for a little bit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. I mean, it started to happen for some of us early when we got here. And I I think what was happening was God was starting to give us his heart. So I'm going to ask for more of that. More, Lord, Lord. More of your heart. Just rest and wait. Come, Holy Spirit.